My name is Keith Beavers, and Disney just announced 10 new Star Wars projects and a new era of Star Wars showing up in novel form on January 5th, which is my birthday, and I'm so excited. Oh my god, 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 oh my god. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 30 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. And what is going on? Yeah? I can't express how excited I am to talk about what we're about to talk about. You guys ever heard of Barolo? You've heard of Barbaresco? It's red. It's expensive. It's from Italy. Let's drill down on this because you're going to love this stuff. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Lux Wines. Lux Wines is an importer of luxury wines from prestigious wineries around the world. Carefully curated, the Lux Wines collection showcases an evolving selection of the finest wines from some of the most revered winemaking families. We are the storytellers and stewards of their family legacies, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Discover our exceptional wines and esteemed winemaking families at luxwines.com. Okay, wine lovers. This is a full disclosure here before we get started. The wines we're about to talk about today are my favorite wines in the galaxy. Like, I would fight CEO Vinepair Adam Teeter for these wines. We have, maybe we have fought over these wines before. They are my favorite. So I'm, I'm going to be very excited. It's going to be, I love this stuff. I mean, I owned a restaurant, it was Italian for 10 years, and... Italian wine is some of my favorite wine in the world. And this is the, okay, let me just, let me just, you know, let's just get into this. In the northwestern part of Italy, there was a region called Piedmont. In Italian, it's Piemonte, which means the foot of the mountain or the feet of the mountain because of its proximity to the Alps. In the southern part of Piedmont or Piemonte, there is a grouping of hills, just absolutely visually stunning hills. And this is called the Lange. In the old dialect of this region, the word Langa means low-lying hill. So this grouping of hills is the plural of that called the Lange. Sometimes in English we call it the Lange Hills, which is a little bit redundant, but whatever. It's hard to describe how beautiful this place is. When you're, when you're looking at this, it's just Google it. It's, it's absolutely amazing. It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's just stunning. And in these hills is a very famous town called Alba. It's kind of a, a center town, a town where people would gather from around the area. About nine miles southwest of the town of Alba is another town called Barolo. And the vineyards surrounding the town of Barolo and other townships, which we'll get into, consist of one grape, a red wine grape called Nebbiolo. It is one of the most revered varieties in this region. It's one of the most revered varieties in Italy. And the wine that is made from the Nebbiolo grape in this area is named after that town, Barolo. About 15 miles north-northeast of Alba is a town called Barbaresco. And in the vineyards surrounding Barbaresco and a couple townships is one grape. And that grape is also Nebbiolo. And the wine made here from the Nebbiolo grape is named after the town 
Barbaresco. The wines made from the Nebbiolo grape in these two towns are some of the most age-worthy wines in the world, some of the most expressive wines in the world, some of the most dramatic red wines in the world. But it wasn't always that way. We have to go back to Barolo, and we have to go back to about the mid-19th century before the unification of Italy. What's interesting about this area is, you know, Europe, and especially Italy, there's so much ancient winemaking going on, and then these regions kind of evolve through this particular, these traditions. This area wasn't like that. Wine in Barolo and the surrounding area before the 19th century was just kind of sweet, fizzy red wine. It was a bit unbalanced. But in the mid-19th century, there was a convergence of wealth, power, and wine knowledge that came together to create what we know today. It's pretty awesome. Camilo Benso, Count of Cavour, lived in Barolo on his Grinsane estate. He was a statesman. He was, this area of, of Italy is very Francophile, and his mother was French, his father was Italian. Actually, his godmother was the sister of Napoleon. So this guy had money, he had power. He actually eventually became um, part of the movement towards Italian unification. He actually had a newspaper called Il Risorgimento, he would eventually become the prime minister of Italy slash Sardinia. That's a whole story. And then just the prime minister of Italy. So this guy had some power. He was also very well-traveled. And he would go to France a lot and just you know, learn about how they made wine there. And he would come back to his estate, which obviously had vineyards on it because he's Italian. And he saw an opportunity to change the way wine was made in his region. He had a man under his employ, a retired general by the name of Paolo Francesco Stalieno. And this guy was a, a studied enologist as well. And again, in the research, this is where things get a little bit fuzzy, but what it feels like is that Benso and Stalieno used knowledge they gained in France to reform and change the way wine was made in Barolo. It was a lot of stuff. They changed the way wine was fermented. They changed the way the wine was aged. They changed the way the wine was grown, where at one time it was all just field blends like it was back in the day in Bordeaux. They decided to do monoculture vineyards, meaning just one variety per vineyard. And with these techniques, they basically changed the way wine was made in Barolo. And this is really the moment where we start seeing the Barolo that we know today. So the thing is, I believe like this, the quality of wine was improving in this area. And just north of the town of Barolo is a town called La Mora, or a commune, I should say. And in that commune, there was a big estate from Giulietta Faletti. She was the, she was the Marquis of Barolo. She gets wind of this quality wine, and she starts doing the same thing they're doing on her estate in La Mora, which is a town about, I don't know, it's a little bit north of Barolo. So now it's starting to spread. And then King Carlos Alberto of Sardinia has a resort in this area. He gets wind of it. He starts making wine in his estate. And then another count, Count Emmanuel Mirafiori, he develops vineyards around his hunting lodge in that area called Fontana Freda, which is actually still there today. And with this new style of wine gaining in popularity, actually down in Liguria, which is the, the region just south of... Piedmont in Genoa, which is now Genova, there was a wine merchant by the name of Louis Odart. Now, usually, often he's 
sort of thought to be the guy that actually went and did all the consulting with everybody. But recently it's shown that he actually didn't. He had a, he had a house. He was a merchant. He was in the Gousillon. And he had a, a maison in Genoa because Genoa had a really thriving French community. And he would spend a lot of time in Barolo and in Barbaresco, which we'll get to, and bring wine back and bottle it and sell it through his house, through his maison. And there's, I think that's where everything started coming, becoming popular outside of this area. So it was, all this stuff was happening at once. And then at some point, Barolo becomes known as the wine of king and the king of wines. And all of this development for land and winemaking practices is what we have today in the Barolo region. Barolo is such a fascinating wine. Okay, how do I... It's elegant. It's powerful. It's tannic. It's expressive aromatically. But it has just bracing acidity that will not allow the wine to overwhelm your palate. It's just... It's... It's incredible. And what's really wild about Barolo and wines made from Nebbiolo in general is the alcohol is often 14 or 14.5. And that's kind of high. And you would think when you had a wine like that in your nose, you would sort of smell and feel the alcohol. Nah, you don't. Barolos are so balanced that you don't even understand. You don't even know what kind of alcohol is in it. You only know there's 14.5% because you look at the label. It's just the most fascinating stuff. And these wines can age for so long. And, well, because, I mean, they actually have to age in barrel and in bottle for a long time before it actually gets to the market. It has to age 38 months. At least 18 of those months need to be in the oak. And for the Reserva, Reserva, it's 62 months with at least 18 months in the oak. And the color of this wine is just such a joy to look at. It's almost like the color of a Pinot Noir, but it's more ruby because it has this wild sort of brickish, rusty tinge to it. Wines that usually have that are wines that have aged for a while, but this wine has it in its youth. And speaking of youth, it's all cherries and plums, but as it starts to age, you get dried cherries and like rose petals and tar and tobacco and, and licorice. It's just, but all of that's very, very, very balanced. And it depends on where in Barolo the wine is made that gives you all the, you know, different variations of what I just spoke of. Because Barolo is basically made up of five townships. You have the town and surrounding area of Barolo. Then you have just north of that, the commune of La Mora, where Giulietta was doing her thing with her estate. East of Barolo, you have a commune called Castiglione Faletto. South of that commune is a commune called Serra Lunga d'Alba. And south of that commune is a commune called Monforte d'Alba. And the reason I mention these five townships is because the soil compositions are unique so that the expression of the Barolo is different depending on what township the wine comes from. You're not always going to see that in big letters on the label. You're going to see Barolo, and it's going to say who made it. And somewhere on the label, it's going to say one of those townships. Or if, there's a, if the wine comes from a single vineyard, the name of that single vineyard will also be on the label. And it's a little bit weird because these townships aren't you know, front and center on the labels, but they're, kind of, they're important because wines coming from Barolo and La Mora, which is you know, Barolo, then just north of that is La Mora, these, this area is a more fertile soil. 
And even though Barolo is always going to be powerful, from these two townships, you're going to get a little bit more aromatics. It's going to be juicier. It's going to be fruitier. The wines are going to feel a little more broad on the palate. And they actually age a little bit faster. So it's one of those wines you can drink earlier than you would from other areas in Barolo. Going east from Barolo, you go down into a valley, then back up into some hills. And those hills are very... They're much less fertile than the soils over in La Mora and Barolo. And you have the Serra Lunga d'Alba, and then south of that you have Monforte d'Alba. And the wines that come out of here, the Barolo that come out of these two townships, are very, they're big, they're structured, they take longer to age, they're not approachable as as soon as as you would want to. They're, They're a little bit more, you know, they have a little more oomph to them. They're a little more intense, I guess. And then... The last township, Castiglione Faletto, is this very unique place because it's at a higher elevation. It's on the spur of, a, of, of these hills. And because of the less fertile soil, it's still very intense. But because of, of the sun exposure, it creates more fruity flavor. So it's almost like the best of both worlds. You get a little bit of the little bit of Serralunga d'Alba, Monforte d'Alba. You get a little bit of <laughs> La Morta Barolo in the Castiglione Faletto. You guys, I'm hoping you guys aren't confused. This is like, it's a lot, but it's pretty awesome stuff. So to sum up, Barolo is made up of five townships. Each township has very unique soils. Two townships, you get more fruitier Barolos. Three townships, you get more intense Barolos. And then one of those townships has more fruit than the other townships. (laughs) The thing is, you're just going to drink Barolo. And just when you buy a Barolo... Take a look at where it's at, where it's from, and then use that stuff. You don't, don't, maybe not think, okay, I'm going to go get a Monforte Dalba because of Keith said. Just go, go and buy Barolo and drink it, and then look on the label, see where it's from, and go, oh, take a note in your head, note on a piece of paper, go buy another Barolo if it's from a different township, kind of take notes of that. It's just, that's really how to do it. So like I said, Barolo is always powerful. Wines made from Nebbiolo are always powerful. It's the nuances that change and define wines made from this grape. And we were talking about earlier, about 15 miles north-northeast of Alba is a town called Barbaresco. The reason why I didn't talk about that in in the beginning is because in Barolo is when, you know, the, the history is there in Barolo. For a long time, the wine or the grapes in Barbaresco were used to blend with Barolo. This is back in the day. And it wasn't until 1894 that the word Barbaresco started showing up on wine labels. And that's because a guy named Domizio Cavazza, who was a professor, an enological professor at the uh, School of Alba, he founded a big co-op in Barbaresco. It's called Cantina di Produttori di Barbaresco. I mean, it was a different name then. That's the name of it now, but it's still around. It is a really good source of very awesome, affordable Barbaresco on the American market. It's easy to find. It's awesome stuff. And from 1894 into the 1960s, like he was, that was kind of the thing that was going on. And it wasn't until the 1960s that we had winemakers that started doing the things like Barolo did back in the day in Barbaresco to focus this place. Giovanni Gaia, Bruno Giacosa, and Alberto Di Gresi. These three winemakers with their individual companies redefined what Barbaresco was into what it is today. 
And you can find these wines on the market. They're all over the place. Very expensive these days, but they're, they're absolutely stunning wines. And they started basically everything. And Barbaresco is a small place. It's the th- a third the size of Barolo. They have townships as well, and, but there's not as many. There's only three. Well, there's four. There's Barbaresco. There's Traiso. There's a commune called Neive. And then a little slice of Alba. But the thing is, the wines made from Nebbiolo here, because they're all made from Nebbiolo, they're different. Because there's a unique kind of soil here that they call Sant'Agata. It's a fossil-based soil. But they're also very close to the Tanaro River. That, and, and that actually helps moderate temperatures and how these vines mature through a growing season. And the result of that, those conditions is, again, a powerful wine. Nebbiolo is always powerful. But here, there's a little more leanness to it, just this little more elegance. There's such a, there's such a lift on the palate with Barbadesco. And it still has the intensity of tannin, actually more so because of that soil. And it still has that vibrant acidity. And it still has that dramatic fruit. But the expression is just a little bit different. You can actually sense all three of them on the palate. Where Barolo, it all kind of comes together and it blends, which is beautiful. But there's something separate about Barolo. You like, there's the tannin, there's the acidity, and there is that beautiful perfumed fruit. It's a little bit more perfume than you get from Barolo. You get violets, you get bright cherries. And when it ages, you even get this like, that tar is still there, tobacco, but you get this like undeniable note of orange peel. And it's just very refreshing, very beautiful. And you can kind of tell in the aging requirements, Barbaresco is released earlier. It's only 26 months required to age with nine months in oak as opposed to the 38 and 18 month for Barolo. And for Reserva, it's 50 months instead of the 62 months for Barolo. So you kind of get a sense of it's a a little bit lighter, more elegant wine. None of these wines are better than the other wines. They're all phenomenal, amazing wines. It's just these are the... These two towns and the wines made in these two towns are these beautiful, intense, structured, phenomenal wines that age for a very long time. And all you have to do is explore them. And every township has a uniqueness to it, but every township is awesome. So I hope you guys are getting a little bit of a sense of the wines from these two regions. I mean, I'm... I am head over heels for these wines. They're the best in the galaxy as far as I'm concerned. So I'm a little bit like waxing on and off here and getting very passionate about it. I'm, and I, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm not, it's not just too crazy, but I just want to convey to you just the wondrousness <laughs> of these wines. And just these wines can be expensive. You know, they start around 30, 40 bucks at the way low end, but they, you know, 50, 60, 70, like that's how much these wines are going to be. But there's a reason for that. These wines are, this is, Barolo is one of the most intelligent, focused wine regions in Italy, and if not the world, it's one of them in the world. And it is just a very confident place with very good focused wine, and the yields are very focused as well. So you're going to get, the, you're, you're paying for something that is going to basically, probably change your life. Okay, well, I mean, change mine, so... If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. 
Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePearKeith. And also, you got to follow VinePear on Instagram, which is at VinePear. And don't forget to listen to the VinePear podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the VinePair staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Lux Wines. Lux Wines is an importer of luxury wines from prestigious wineries around the world. Carefully curated, the Lux Wines collection showcases an evolving selection of the finest wines from some of the most revered winemaking families. We are the storytellers and stewards of their family legacies, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Discover our exceptional wines and esteemed winemaking families at luxwines.com.